This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. We left off last week's part one conversation with Michael Redman with him musing about a real artistic inspiration for him. That would be the gravelly voiced singer songwriter Leonard Cohen. Redman, the alternative news weekly publisher, teacher, photographer, curator, and all around beatnik, or should I say hippie, had posted a video on social media of Cohen singing his anthem, Democracy. Redmond did that on election night early last month, well before anybody could say with any level of assurance who would win the presidential race. It's not hard for anyone to guess where Redmond's loyalties lie leading up to the election. All you have to do is listen to him speak for 13 seconds and you'll have a good idea. Well, he said he hoped the election would be a return to democracy for this country. I reminded him that democracy was what brought America into these last four roller coaster years. Michael and I had such a freewheeling and extended chat that I was able to squeeze two weeks of big talks out of it. Now here comes part two, but first, why don't we listen to Leonard Cohen sing about democracy? I'm sentimental, if you know what I mean. I love the country, but I can't stand the scene. And I'm neither left or right. I'm just staying home tonight, getting lost in that hopeless little screen. But I'm stubborn as those garbage bags that time cannot decay. I'm junk, but I'm still holding up this little wild bouquet. Democracy is coming to the U.S.A. It's coming through a hole in the air From those nights in Tiananmen Square it's coming from the feel that this ain't exactly real Or it's real, but it ain't exactly there From the war against disorder, from the sirens night and day From the fires of the homeless, from the ashes of the gay Democracy is coming to the USA It's coming through a crack in the wall On a visionary flood of alcohol From the staggering account Of the Sermon on the Mount Which I don't pretend to understand at all It's coming from the silence on the dock of the bay From the brave of bold and battered heart of Chevrolet Democracy is coming to the USA.
from the sorrow in the street The holy places where the races meet From the homicidal bitchin' that goes down in every kitchen To determine who will serve and who will eat From the wells of disappointment where the women kneel to pray For the grace of God in the desert here and the desert far away Democracy is coming
but I'm stubborn as those garbage bags that time cannot decay. I'm a junk, but I'm still holding up this little wild bouquet. Democracy is coming to the USA. By the way, Michael Redmond, our guest this week uh, here on Big Talk, the Dia de los Muertos Community Altar, or as you say, the Bloomington Daily Dead Community Altar. The name has been changed. It's it's going on this year, but differently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely differently. What happened this year since... Nobody can do anything. We created a uh, a page online that that included all the photos from the last fifteen years of the altar and of people at the altar. And one of the big things that happens at the altar is that people leave notes to family and friends who have died, and we collect those and put them in a book. And I scanned all those and they are also on that page they are some of them are the most poignant things i've ever read how do we get to that page uh Uh there's a url that i don't know Uh, (laughs) it's on facebook go on facebook and uh search for uh bloomington community altar i assume you'll find it that way there will be links to 14 photo albums, and there will be all of the notes that people have left over the years, which is hundreds. And the photo albums, another thing people do is leave offerings. Uh So there's a picture of the first one that, that Jamie and I did at her place that is tiny. And every year we gather together the offerings that people have left and add it to the altar. I hate to to repeat myself, but I hear the same thing from some people that uh, we've said that I hear from former customers of my comic shop and people who have attended Water Raccoons performances that the Day of the Dead altar is a really important thing to them. Yeah. That, you know, they have left offerings there 10 years ago and they're still there. And, you know, that there have been a lot of deaths this year. And so I'm sorry we couldn't do it in person this year. Yeah. Because there would be a lot of people who would want to leave things. So they can leave them next year. Catharsis. Uh, that's exactly what it is. And it's not just sadness. Our inspiration was the Mexican holiday, which is a celebration of the dead. People visit it and, you know, spend some time in silence or being sad and people visit it and spend some time with friends laughing. I guess right now it's maybe one of the most important things that I do all year. And uh, your, your co-curator usually is Rachel Gregorio. Correct. And you started that with Jamie Sweeney uh, back right. in 2006. Uh, at the time she was the owner of the Wandering Turtle Gallery Right, And she has a nice quote about you. You'll like this one. Uh, you won't get okay. mad at does, her for this. Does she say I'm egotistical? Or, no, no. I, she doesn't seem like the kind of person who would. 
are you saying Jamie doesn't seem like the kind of person that would be that truthful? Oh, <laughs> she knows how to apply a coat of polish. Let's uh -huh. put it like that. Uh -huh. Her quote about you is, the man has had a very colorful, artistic, and interesting life. Would you call your life interesting? I would call my life fascinating. Wow. Um, I guess that's what my goal is, is to have an interesting life, to do what I want to do and, and survive by my wits. You know, at this point, I may be surviving by half of my wits. <laughs> You're uh, a half-wit, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, all the, the stuff we've talked about, it's all been stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I found a way to do it. There are a million other things I want to do that, you know, maybe I'll do some of them. Despite the fact that you talk about, you know, you've gone to garage sales and you've never had an interest in money and all, you've been able to raise two kids, uh, right. Miranda and Andrew. Right. Yeah, who are now older than I am. <laughs> yeah. At least they're, they're more adult than I am. They have jobs. They own houses. I don't know how that happened. Do you think at their age, they're still rolling your eyes when you come up? They're rolling their eyes when they talk to me. <laughs> and I don't blame them one iota, I'll tell yeah, you Yeah, you know, the, the most common thing I hear is, oh, Dad. I would love to hear what they say about you. Hey, maybe next week I'll invite them on. We'll talk about you, for gosh sake. Yeah, they're, they're incommunicado. They, they, they can't speak. They're in a witness protection program. Ah, right. Hey, I want to go back to something here. I love this. Do you recognize this name? Get ready. Big Chief King Pharaoh Bobo. It's Big Chief King Pharaoh Bobo Ramses III. Oh, who the heck is that? Yeah, no one knows. Oh, another convoluted story. And whatever year it was, sometime in the 90s and the late 80s, I and a number of people from town used to go down to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. Yeah. And sometimes we'd stay for like 10 days. At some point, we decided that Bloomington needed to have a Mardi Gras festival. Uh-huh. And that uh, we needed to put together a band that was sort of a nod to the Indian bands of New Orleans who were actually black people who were dressed up as Indians. Yeah. Uh, to, to acknowledge their kinship with another outsider group. And so we put together a band called the Wild Raccoons and it was, me and Jim Mannion, who you know, and Chet Molesky, who you probably know, and Gary Glenn, and Jeff Powell, and a number of people in and out over the years. And, That's uh, an all-star cast. Yeah, and the band that we eventually got was an all-star band. With yeah. Ransom Hale and Andy Cobine, and Andy put together a band with people who had been playing in Bloomington for decades. And so we, for 15 years, we put on a Mardi Gras party, mostly at Second Story until it closed. And we performed, and then other bands performed. And mostly we did 
sort of a funk version of Mardi Gras Indian songs, huh. like Honda Wanda and, and, you know, my brain just went blank. I can't think of the other songs, but yeah. it was my concept of what we did was that it was an experience rather than a musical performance <laughs> that, you know, we would pull people up from the audience. We would get down the audience and perform down there. People ask me what instrument I played. I don't play an instrument. People ask me if I sang, I don't sing. Mostly what I did was yell and scream into the microphone. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes burn sage. We had a, a Mardi Gras altar that I set up in the back room. People have told me, I've run into people who have told me they, that their experience at, we call it a party Marty. Their experience there was different than their experience at any other performance that they'd been to. One couple told me that they went there on their first date and ended up getting married. Um, not that night no and i don't think because of us <laughs> but yeah i my like i said my concept was that we would make this night something like people had never had before we did that as much as possible you know i've never been there but from what i understand new orleans is a place that is like no other in the world and it attracts people in a way that no other city in the united states does people who eventually wind up in new orleans are just devoted to it you're right you're right but although there are people in bloomington now who lived in new orleans for several years and eventually moved out during the time i was there there was a lot of drinking yeah, and a lot of music and we got held up one night and I had a like Saturday night special held in my temple. That's New Orleans in a nutshell, all of that. So I'm not sure you can live there forever huh. without becoming lost. Yeah, But it, people are dedicated to it. It's an amazing city. I wouldn't want to live there, but it's a, it's a great place to spend a couple of weeks. Why did you stay here in Bloomington? Because I this is my home. I love Bloomington. I've lived in a couple other places near Boston and out in the country in a 150-year-old farmhouse in western Indiana. And I spent a few weeks in New Orleans and a few weeks in San Francisco and some time in Colorado. And I have found places that I like as much as Bloomington, but I've never found a place I like more. So why move? Yeah. You know, this is, uh, I think it's a really vibrant community and uh, there are things that have happened or changed here that I don't like. And there are things that have changed here that I really like. You know, I have great friends here. I raised my kids here and you know, they did well. There's always something going on. There's some people, mostly who don't live here, complain that there's nothing to do 
in my experience in Bloomington is that there's more to do than I have time for. Well, you're a guy who can, you, who can keep yourself occupied. It's like the old George Carlin line. You're like a kid with a stick in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, actually, before the quarantine started, I spend a lot of time at, at my home working on things I want to work on. And I get together with friends once or twice a week. Uh, so I thought I was way ahead of everyone else when the quarantine started and you had to stay home. I was for a couple months. And then maybe not. I miss hanging out with my friends. I miss big fires. Right. I miss potlucks. I miss uh, uh, music and all of that. And I don't mind having lost track of time. I have one or two things a week that I need to be at at a specific time or do at a specific thing. And the rest of the time I don't. So, you know, generally I go to bed when I'm tired and I wake up when I wake up. And during the rest of the day, I work on about 500 things at a time and don't do a very good job at any of them. And but, occasionally put your clothes on. Right, exactly. I've heard talk that once this thing is over, there's going to be an orgy. You know, I saw someone post on Facebook that they heard when the 1918 Spanish flu was over that people celebrated with wine and an orgy. Yeah. And my comment on that was, I don't have any wine. <laughs> Uh, who knows what's going to happen when this thing is over? It's, well, I can't wait to find to, out. Yeah, we're going to be living in a different world. I mean, we live in a different world now, but yeah. when it's over, we're going to be living in an even different world. The face of Bloomington will change. A lot of places will go out of businesses, which will give the opportunity for a lot of new places to come into business. People will be... I think for a while, people will be wandering around aimlessly. In a daze. Yeah, exactly. I want to press you a little bit about how you look at yourself, because I'm going to give you a quote, and it's by you. This oh. is a quote from well, you. This is, this is the total lie, then. I would figure. <laughs> if it's by me, yeah. So, speaking of Facebook... On the 2nd of November, you posted this, and here goes with the quote. I am so often accused of gloominess and melancholy, and I think I'm probably the most cheerful man around. I don't consider myself a pessimist at all. I think of a pessimist as someone who is waiting for it to rain, and I feel completely soaked to the skin. <laughs> you know, I think that that. I posted that, and it was actually a quote from, I think it might have been a quote from Leonard Cohen, in fact. No kidding. Uh, but yeah, life is just out there, you know, and in here. It's, it's, uh, it's ready to be experienced, and, and there are going to be some disastrous times, and there are going to be some wondrous times, and if you don't experience it, you don't get either one of them. Do you have any regrets 
Oh, thousands. Is one of them, perhaps, I'll just throw this out there, the fact that you don't have a, a big bank account or nest egg for your quote-unquote golden years? No. I'd like to have enough money to have a car that worked, and I'd like to have enough money to travel a little bit. That's the only thing that I miss. I've got plenty of food, plenty of entertainment. Like I said, 500 projects I'm working on, most of which will never come to fruition. Yeah. And that's okay, too. What are some of these projects? How do you keep yourself going day after day? You know, as I became more insane after several months of quarantine, I decided that my best plan, well, I'm working on some photo stuff and, you know, art things and things like that. But I decided my best plan was to straighten out every room in my home at the same time. <laughs> so that's been going on for about two months. And, <laughs> and what I have now is, is stuff from various rooms in stacks in rooms where they don't belong uh, <laughs> in every room in the house. So I do that for, you know, an hour or two a day and that keeps me entertained. Most of my writing nowadays is uh, one or two sentence sarcastic quips on Facebook. Yeah. I listen to music. I have uh, television series going while I'm working on the computer. Ones that I don't have to actually watch, I can listen to like like a radio theater. Mostly I drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. I think that's a rather simplistic way of putting it, although I'll bet it takes up a lot of your time and energy. It takes up a lot of my focus. Yeah. I have found that as COVID and the quarantine have gone on, it's difficult for me to think of anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't have the focus I had before this. And, you know, I, I live alone. So most of the time, uh, my conversations are with myself. And um, I'm not all that smart. Yeah, but I'll bet those conversations are riveting. They are. They are. <laughs> at least to one of me. <laughs> and the other guy's saying, Jesus, will this guy ever shut up? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> My guest, Michael Redmond, a publisher, a photographer, a writer, a teacher, a general, as I said earlier, a general art figure. Uh, boy, that sounds like a military title. General art figure. <laughs> In any case, Michael Redmond, uh, our guest this week on Big Talk. Michael, I thank you so much for being on. You are Bloomington, in my view. Well, thanks. I don't know that I accept that title, but I am part of Bloomington. Certainly. A, a, a big part. A part that would be, it would be like uh, seeing a person walk down the street missing an arm if you weren't here. <laughs> yeah, that, um, I'm egotistical enough to go along with that. <laughs>